This is Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14 in the NIV. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we are unified though apart. Uh, we are unified in your spirit. We're unified in your presence this morning. We are unified as children of Christ, brothers and sisters all. Uh, I just pray that uh, through the preaching of your word this morning, uh, you would just stir our hearts and you would just uh, help us to forsake our own glory and our own interest, uh, have everything work for your glory and your good. In Jesus' name, amen. You might have felt a little bit uncomfortable with some of those words in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, as we continue our series, Life to Live. Well, I have to tell you, I had a time where I felt extraordinarily uncomfortable with some of those words as well. I was, uh, I remember being 18, Lindsay and I just met and she started going to a new church when she went to university in Nottingham. I went along when I came to visit some weekends and I remember just being shocked that I loved the church. I thought they were great until I heard them teach on this stuff. And they were teaching that God predestines, that God chooses people to be saved. I was outraged. How could it be that you could be a Christian who's supposed to be about love? How could you believe in a God of love and then teach this unloving doctrine? Now, my definition was wrapped up in individualism. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was all about my rights. That's why I was outraged. I even wrote a biblical defense against this rubbish for Lynn's and her friends. It wasn't long until I had one of those moments when I realized that the Bible actually disagreed with me. Shocking, how could this be? I then swung the other way for a while. Having wasted arguments all the time when I went to Bible college. I was saying God is totally in control and it almost became fatalistic. How can you not believe this? You don't choose God, he chooses you. Truth is the Bible unapologetically holds both together. Charles Spurgeon, possibly Britain's greatest ever preacher, was teaching on this when he was asked, how then can you reconcile these two truths, these two truths that both God chooses and we choose? He said, I never reconcile friends. Maybe you find yourself passionately defending one view or another. Maybe you've actually become so disillusioned with this whole discussion because of the daft arguments and, and now you're just in a place of indifference and you wish that people would just stop talking about it. Or maybe you've never actually really thought about this before and you think, what's this all about? What's he even talking about? Well, wherever you're at this morning, my prayer is this, that we would hold fully to God's choice and hold fully to our responsibility and our choice to follow after God with all of our hearts. And there's something else in here. It's an implication of God's choice 
that I want us to go away with as well. And that is that God is our, has given us a guarantee. That God has guaranteed that we are saved. Those of us who know him, and we will never lose that salvation. I think in living out those two truths and really knowing those two truths, that's when we, we will take that life that's been given to us and live our lives to the glory of God. That's what verses 12 and 14 will teach. So uh, let's turn now to verse 11 and we can see it there. Clear as day, we were chosen and predestined according to his, God's, pleasure and will. But then in verse 13, it says that you were included when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. God chose you and predestined you according to his will. Okay. You heard and you believed. Now, this whole idea that God chooses who is to be saved, that actually flows from a much wider teaching on the sovereignty of God. That means that there is nothing out with, of his, uh, with his control. And this teaching on, uh, or this idea that we choose to follow God, that we respond to the gospel and choose to follow and believe in him and give him our lives, that flows from the wider biblical teaching on man's responsibility, that we all are accountable for our actions. But actually all through the Bible, we see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility working together. They're kind of like runners running stride for stride, right next to each other, going almost synchronistically together. They synchronize together. There's both taking place all at the same time. Just look at the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus predicts his death. He quotes the Old Testament, these messianic prophecies, and we see many more messianic prophecies uh, lived out in the life of Jesus. And then Luke 9.51 tells us that Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem, but it was the religious elites in Jerusalem, who devised a plan to kill him. It was then Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was the crowds who demanded he was killed and Barabbas released. Roman soldiers were the ones who drove those nails into his hands and his feet and executed him, raised him up onto, on that cross. God, though, planned it all. That's why Peter can preach at Pentecost, this day where the Holy Spirit falls and uh, the church is born, and he preaches this, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, speaking to the Jews now, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What about the story of Joseph? Much more than a story about a brightly coloured coat. Joseph's jealous brothers, they're the ones who abandoned Joseph and Jacob, 
who was Joseph's dad and Joseph was his beloved son, the one he loved the most, was told by the brothers, oh, he's been killed by a wild animal. But actually what happened, they'd thrown him in a pit and he'd sold him off for slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And in Egypt, all kinds of things take place. All kinds of people are responsible for all kinds of things that happen to him in his life. But while he's in prison, um, he is given the opportunity to go and interpret uh, the Pharaoh's dreams because God had given this ability to interpret dreams. And through that interpretation, after many years, uh, Joseph has been prime minister and along comes his brothers from this far off land to come and receive food from this wise prime minister who in this famine, through this interpretation of the dream, had saved food from the plentiful seven years and now in this famine, uh, there was plenty of food to give out and they were selling it. And it's his brothers who come basically begging for food. And what does he do at this reunion? What is it that he says? Joseph says, you, his brothers, meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Can you see it? God's plans being worked out, even when we are not doing what we would regard as God's perfect will. Somehow God still working his purposes together, making his purposes happen, nothing out with his control, even when we know that it's not the right thing always being done. This is not some kind of deal where God gets 50% control and we get 50% control. No, no. God is 100% in control and we are 100% responsible for what we think and we do and we say. These truths are all uh, always true by themselves. So God is always in control. We are always responsible for what we do. Now, that is true even though they're running together like running partners, stride by stride. Proverbs 16, 9. Man plans his ways, but the, but the Lord establishes his steps. So God is sovereign. That means he's completely in control. And yet we are totally and utterly responsible for how we live. So PJ Smythe, he heads up the leadership team for Advance. He said this. He said he's noticed that those who hold to both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility find themselves in a place of peace and maturity. And actually, when we narrow in again, so we, we're out looking at God's sovereignty and our responsibility in life, but now we narrow in again on our salvation and God's choice to save and our response to choose to follow after God, our irresistible choice that when our hearts are changed, we then pursue after God with all of our hearts. This becomes really clear. A friend of mine could not bring herself to believe that God could ever predestine anyone or anything. Took the view that that was totally unloving. But then she became hugely anxious about her friends who did not know Jesus, who weren't saved. And someone would get ill, she, she couldn't stop worrying about them. She, she would feel guilty if she didn't pray more. She panicked that they would die without knowing God. 
Sometimes she barely slept, questioned herself all the time. Did I say enough? Was I persuasive enough? Another friend of mine was so fixated on God's choosing that he didn't really see the point in praying anymore. Didn't see the point in looking for opportunities to share the gospel, the good news with people, to try and persuade people that they need to follow Jesus. He almost became fatalistic, passionless. He had that kind of like, you know, what's the point kind of attitude to everything. Wherever we are on that scale, so I imagine that some of us, where most of us are somewhere in between. But wherever we're at on that scale, we need to see that there's not a nice, neat, logical flowchart that agrees with our view. We need faith in the God whose ways are so much higher than our ways. We need to hold together the truths that we are both chosen and we choose. To see the active will of God and our wills irresistibly responding to his through passages like Acts 16, 14. That's where Lydia, a business owner, a purple cloth seller, is used by God after she comes to faith to plant the first church in Philippi. And it says this about her, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So God first opens her heart, then she responds to Paul's message. Or when the church was birthed in the first century in Antioch, Acts 13, 48, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Do you see that? All those who were appointed God chooses, but it's only those who believed in their hearts that were saved. So in some ways, the experience of coming to faith, it is not necessarily that we would know that God has changed our hearts. We, we, just, we think we've heard and, and made a choice, and, and that's that. And we have. What we don't see is that and I guess looking back, almost like looking back at a prequel to a film. So if you go and look at, uh, if you go and watch The Hobbit, for instance, after watching The Lord of the Rings, there are things uh, that are revealed about The Lord of the Rings that you didn't know because you go back to the prequel, The Hobbit, and you, you understand something, some more of the context. And in some ways, this is the same. We might look at us coming to faith and think, hmm, I, I didn't know that. God was doing all of these things in me and changing my heart, which then meant that I irresistibly chose to follow after him. Now, in our culture, we actually really struggle to see past why God would impinge on our rights and be so exclusive by choosing. And the emphasis here in this passage is is on God's choice. So I think that the, the best thing to do here would actually be to give us just a few reasons why God's choice is really good news. This is not a reluctant thing to believe. This is good news. Let me show you why. Number one, you do not have to prove yourself. You did not have to become lovable before God loved you. You didn't even need to have those kind of cute little chug, uh, chubby cheeks that the babies have that make us go, oh, you're so cute, you're so, so adorable. You didn't even need that. 
It was long before your mum and dad met on the dance floor or your mum and dad met uh, as they glanced at each other across the pews at church, I don't know, wherever they met. Long before that, God loved you. You didn't have to do a thing. No proving yourself, no no becoming lovable before you could be loved. God loved you because he is love. He knew what you would be like, number two. He might, you might look at yourself and you think, oh man, oh, I do not like myself. You might be disappointed when you look in a mirror. But the one who spoke galaxies into creation chose you. He knew exactly what you would be like. He's sovereign. That's across time, not just space. And so that means that he knew you before you were born and he loved you. You might be addicted to porn. You might be an alcoholic. You might be a drug addict. You might have some kind of sin going on in your life that you just don't seem to be able to kick, can't drop it. Well, the God who's surrounded by angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That same God loves you and would come to the earth, die in your place, so that he could swap his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness for your sin so that he might be punished in your place and then he could give you this gift of life. And your new life is wrapped up in his resurrection life. You've been born again. Number three, it keeps us real. That's what 2.8 will tell us, chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Your identity is not wrapped up in your performance. You did nothing. This is all grace. God did it all. And now you respond irresistibly to his choice with, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It brings us to a place of humility. It reminds us that we were not worthy of this, but God loved us and chose us anyway. Number four, you couldn't choose. You couldn't choose. Without God stepping in, you would never have chosen him. Again, the beginning of chapter two, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. By nature, just the way you are, that means, By nature, you were deserving of wrath. But God made you alive, caused you to be born again. It's like that image in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel comes to this valley and and this vision that he has of dry bones. Dry bones. Don't think... When you think about God giving you new life, don't think about somebody who's like had a heart attack in the gym and you've resuscitated, you've seen them resuscitated, or don't think of something like that. We're not, we're not thinking about Holby City or something and someone's got the paddles out. We're thinking dry bones, dead. Like, there is no sign of life. But God starts to put flesh on the bones. Hearts are placed back on the bodies. Blood 
starts to flow through the flesh. The flesh rises, the people come alive, they are completely restored. That's what God does. You needed that miracle. And no one is beyond saving, this means. Because God chooses us unconditionally, anyone, even the hardest of sinners, even the people who you think in your minds in a a warped, worldly way where we don't really get the gospel and you think they're too far gone, those people God can save like that. That's a terrible click. Better. (laughs) He can save you like that. That's you. God can. You're not too far gone. God can save you right now. In fact, I would say if you're listening to this, if you're hearing this, and something's going on in your heart right now, that is God speaking to you, and He wants to invite you now into His family. He is causing you to feel like that. Now it's the time to say, "I choose to follow after You." We need to be very careful as Christians to avoid, now we've all said this, but to avoid saying things like, oh, they'd be such a great Christian. Huh? What does that mean? No, no, the gospel is miraculous for anyone. This isn't for the churchy types. This isn't for, isn't for the people who are, who are good or who are nice. This is, this is for everyone. And God is coming and doing miracles in people's hearts. If you've come to faith, it's a miracle. It's not because you were like halfway there. You were nowhere, dead in your sins, made alive in Christ. John Stott said in this passage, the decisive factor in Christian conversion is the will of God. Enjoy, enjoy the truth of that today. Now, one of the implications of God's choosing is that we cannot lose the salvation he has given us. God gave it to you and God keeps it for you. Faith in God is not a flimsy worldview that we can just disregard when we think a better one has arrived. Verse 13 says, you were marked in him with a seal of salvation. Now, this seal is the same kind of seal used to brand farmer's cattle. Now, can I just say that is nothing, that is nothing to do with, with the type of relationship you have with God. It is, your relationship is, is father-daughter, father-son. It is intimate, it is close, it is beautiful, it is good. Uh, it is not like a farmer and his cattle. The point of this is that when you are sealed, you belong to him like the farmer's cattle. You belong to him and you always will belong to him. Once you have been branded, sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is never going to leave you. That brand is on you forever. So that has some serious implications. Maybe you make a horrible mistake in your life. Maybe your life has changed direction because something horrible has happened to you. Let me tell you now, that no matter the circumstances of your life, God still loves you. Even if you have let go, he is holding on to you and he will never let go. It's the Holy Spirit who remains with us no matter what. You are sealed. When you let go of God, he never lets go of you. Think of the prodigal son. 
great story. I'm sure you've heard it. And the son runs off and he does his own thing with his money, goes and parties and makes some horrible mistakes. What happens when the son has run off? What's happened to the relationship between the father and the son? Is, is he no longer his father? No, no, he's still his father. Is he no longer his son? Oh, no, no, he's still, he's still his son. They're just distant from one another right now. And that's what happens when we see people, um, maybe friends, family, who look like they loved God and knew God and were in the church and, and doing everything that you would imagine someone would do who loves God. And we mustn't lose hope for those people because they are sealed. Have great hope for those people because one day they will get to run home to their father. And let's pray that they get to enjoy the blessings of being in relationship with their father now. Let's pray that they come back. Let's pray that they come back into the family and know the closeness of God. Now, at the heart of God's choice and his guarantee to us that we will have this salvation forever and ever uh, is one we've seen again and again from Genesis to Revelation. It's about being chosen as God's special possession to be a blessing, to live to the glory of God, to show off his fame by our lives of worship. Why were you chosen and sealed? According to verses 12 and verses four, uh, verse 12 and verse 14, for the praise of his glory. That's why our church exists for God's glory and Glasgow's good. And when we live for God's glory, we live in such a way that we will be for the good of those around us. We'll help the city flourish as we live for his glory. Now, like the people on the earth who are wandering in sin and oblivious to the ways of God uh, during the time of Abraham and Sarah, who were living in a, a kind of obscure place, living an obscure life in the Ur of Chaldeans, God plucked them out and blessed them and said, even though you're in your old age, we are gonna, I am gonna give you a son and that son will father, you will father the nation, uh, a nation who will bless the nations. And then we know that Israel was to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, Isaiah says. And Jesus then comes along as the true Israel and invites us into his kingdom, which then breaks out to the ends of the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that is what we are now saved into and we have been given this guarantee for. We have been incapable of choosing God for ourselves like Abraham was. And we've been called and joined to the mission of God, to the purposes of God. And it is good news that we have been chosen by God. He's opened our cold hearts and turned them from stone to flesh. And it's only then, now, that we are irresistibly following after him to his glory. And we're guaranteed that he will be with us forever and ever. Now, the certainty we can have 
by knowing we are chosen and guaranteed, this everlasting life leads to a life lived to the glory of God. Life to live. So, let me just borrow an illustration from C.S. Lewis. Imagine two Scottish families. They've been given land rights in New Zealand in the 1860s when these were being dished out. Opportunities given particularly to uh, sheep farmers um, to go and be given land in New Zealand and establish the land, cultivate the land. And these two families, the Macaws and the Carters, went out, one with a plot right next to the other. The Macaws were convinced that this land had been given to them and it was theirs forever. They, were, they looked at the contract, the lawyer had signed it, they had signed it, the witness had signed it, the government had signed it. They knew this land was theirs, so they built a home. They didn't just build a house, they built a home. They invested in the local community. They got involved in the local church. They supported the local shops. They built relationships with other families and they uh, helped establish a school in the local village. They were all in, cultivating the land and the land's beginning to bear uh, much fruits and the garden is looking beautiful. It's a stunning scene. The other family, however, they are making trips to Auckland all the time, a two-day journey there and a two-day journey back. Why? Because they were scared that, that this contract wasn't binding. They weren't sure. They, they, they were terrified that they were going to lose this. This just seemed too good to be true. And, and could it really be for them? Are they deserving of this? They can't, this can't be right. And so they kept going back and checking with the offices in Auckland and, and, and making sure that this was still theirs. Every so often they would panic and think, we need to go back again. Just check again. This can't be true. Which of them got to enjoy their life more in New Zealand? Of course, it's the, it's the family who invested, the family who believed that they were guaranteed this land. The family who knew that they'd been given this land and this land was theirs. They had no doubt in that. And it is the same for those of us who are convinced that we are God's possession, chosen by God and held by God forever. Believe these words and commit yourself to his kingdom, to God's kingdom, and you will produce a God-glorifying life, one that is rich and is full of his grace and love. Hallelujah. You are God's choice and you've irresistibly chosen in response and you are guaranteed the salvation that has been given to you forever. There is nothing you can do to lose it. Now enjoy your new life. It's been given to you so that you can bring glory to God and that is what you were made for. Let's pray. 
Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, that you chose us from before the foundations of the world. Thank you, God, that you love us, you adore us. There is nothing that we can do to now escape your love. And God, I pray that the truth of that would transform us. That we would be people who are eager to go to the ends of the earth, to love our neighbour, to transform this city as your kingdom breaks out through us, your beloved people, your possession. And God, help us now, I pray, to see how thankful we should be that we people who were nowhere, who were dead in our trespasses and our sin, have now been made alive with Christ, given a new life to enjoy forever and ever. We love you, God. Come meet with us now as we sing. Glory to you. Amen.